Hello and welcome to Noodle Pros. My name is Brendan Mernon. I'm Senior uh, Director for uh, Quality and Recruiting and I'm here today with longtime tutor and colleague Tony Majewski. Uh, Tony has been a uh, tutor for over 20 years. Uh, he works mostly with the younger set, kids ages about 3 to 10, 11, 12. Uh, he's a very experienced person. Uh, he does both academic and test prep. Uh, on the academic side, almost anything that younger students could need, Tony does. And on the test prep side, he does tests such as the ABLE or the Gifted and Talented or for the ISE, various levels, primary, two, three, four, lower level and middle level. And for the SSAT, excuse me, primary <clears throat> and elementary level. Um, when he was a teacher, uh, he taught kindergarten, second, third, fourth, fifth grades in both public and independent schools. And he also has done a fair amount of homeschooling one-on-one, -on -one, being responsible for basically the entire school year for individual students. Uh, and when he's not doing all this education, he is a marathon runner and, as you can see in the background, avid Lego builder. So it is my pleasure to welcome you today, Tony, to discuss kindergarten readiness in the time of COVID. Yeah, so thank you for the vast introduction as well. And I'm happy to be here and talk about something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So thank you. So we get a lot of questions here at Noodle Pros and some of them, they, you know, a lot of times they just, we, we send people directly to you to answer them. And so I'm gonna ask you some of the questions that, um, that come up a lot uh, in the last month or so and, and we'll answer them, you'll answer them, and, and people will, will, will be better for it. So I guess the, the, the first one is, uh, if, if preschool is closed, and, and I'm a parent of a preschooler, how can I promote my child's social and emotional development best? Yeah, so uh, the tricky part is with these school closures. I think that's an important thing to think about with their emotional and social development. How are we allowing ourselves to stay connected? And I think that that's the huge thing to think about, the, the connectivity of seeing their friends, interacting with their friends, laughing with their friends, and still having those authentic moments are challenging, but they're not impossible. And I think the big thing to think about is um, Zoom meetings, um, FaceTime sessions, a lot of technology can be used to help with that. And I think that the more time that they have where maybe one of the parents of a group of kids can read a story or they can have time where they interact, where they share something or they're building something or coloring something. I think any of those little things that we take for granted that they'd want to show their grownups or brothers and sisters, they also would want to show their friends. So I think setting up in the routine of things, I know that there's a lot of Zooming that's happening right now, but setting up a time that they get to see their friends just like a play date is just as important as having that Zoom time with their teachers and other tutors and educators and family members. So, so then you're saying, so maybe connect with neighbors or friends or classmates and, and that have kids the same age and set up Zoom playdates and reading sessions and games and things like this? Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, those playdates, even if they are, you know, sitting with their friends in front of the computer, I know it seems <laughs> like such a, such a silly thing with the digital age, but that little interaction, that time that they get to spend with each other, is just as important as the time that they would if they were physically interacting. And I think that, you know, the, the more time they have with other kids and the more time that they have to interact, they still are developing those social skills that could potentially be on the back burner when they're not actually at school. And so 
that's the part with the kid to kid. I know, I mean, I have, I have two older children who went to a great preschool and, and I, I remember, you know, trying to be as good at talking to my three-year-old as the teacher from the school and I just wasn't as good. And so what are some of the things that like you as a really experienced, like, you know, toddler whisperer or pre-K whisperer? No, really. I mean, I've heard you talking to the kids that you work with and it's, it's special. Like, how do you, what are some ways as a parent I could get, take some tips from you on how to, how to speak in ways that, that add to social, develop, social emotional development, the ways that like tricks of the trade for kindergarten teachers or pre, preschool teachers? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the toddler whispering or the, the kindergarten whispering that us as uh, younger educators have, it's the idea of really coming to their level. So obviously adults are taller. So if they're able to sit on the same level, you can see eye to eye with them. First of all, that's a really huge part of it because when you see eye to eye with them, you understand kind of where they're coming from. And a lot of times I say to parents, it's like, you know, they have actions and emotions. That's part of the vocabulary. They don't have the words just yet sometimes to express themselves, but they definitely can physically emote. And that's where we learn from them. But I think that, you know, talking to them as if, you know, they are, a young adult or a person really helps. It gives them, number one, gives them the vocabulary that they will be using throughout their life, but also just helps them to know that they're being respected. And I think that choice is something that's important, but giving them choices that are understandable. So, you know, say, what do you want to play today? Well, that's a really overwhelming question. But if you as a parent think, okay, what, are, what would you like to play today? And give them three choices that mitigates some of the anxiety. It helps them to think, oh, I'm in charge of this. But meanwhile, as a parent, you're the one that set the convention. And I think those are things that as teachers, we help our children and students to feel less anxious and feel more confident about their choices. And so for instance, when at home, when maybe the child is not inspired or they're having a difficult time with having that conversation, you can sit down and say, tell me one thing that you would like to do, or tell me one thing that you enjoyed doing yesterday. So that way, A, they work on the memory, but also it's like, oh, well, I'm being hurt, or I'm, someone's listening to me. And that helps them to think about, oh, I'm being spoken to as if someone cares, or someone's interested in what I'm thinking. And then that helps them to sort of have ownership. And it does help that communication barrier too, where some parents forget that, you know, they are, looked up to. They, they want answers from the parents. And even if it's not what you think is the best answer, any answer sometimes is what the child might need to just feel grounded and feel like that's an opportunity for them to do an activity or to just have a conversation. Well, that's excellent. Um, what are, another issue I think a lot of parents are, are dealing with is, um, they're in places where playgrounds are closed. And, you know, again, going back to my memories of when my kids were four or five, you know, they needed that playground every day for a few hours. Yeah. Um, what do I do with the physical development, just motor skills and different things to, to promote that while playgrounds are closed? Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of the families that I've been working with, they have brought this up as well. And there are, um, believe it or not, like toddler PE, uh, classes on Zoom and toddler PEs um, where you can go on and they have different physical activities, dancing, um, you can do, it's obviously not like a boot camp like we would, as, would take as an adult, 
but it does help them with you know physical activity and they can learn how to do jumping jacks and jumping in place and a lot of them can incorporate lifting things i know it seems kind of silly we don't want our kids to feel like they're like a, in some sort of place where they're like building muscles and <laughs> that's what the goal is but it is important to think about the physicality of it so standing and moving and also with dance it helps with patterns and sequence and i know that in the back of our minds we always want to think about the academic component but piecing together the combination or a series of movements does help them with their memory and patterns so if they're thinking of you know Simon Says is always fun and different things like that that we forget can be movement-based, but also if you have stairs in your home or your apartment, that's always something that's good. And you can count how many stairs you go, how fast you're going, ways that you can incorporate the competitive child and also the movement-based child too. And if you can find a slinky, the good old slinky method works too when you can see the slinky go down the stairs. Um, that's a luxury for some of us that you know do have stairs and stairwells and what have you. But I feel like that's, you know, in this current time when we're staying at home and playgrounds aren't an option, we have to be creative. So outdoor races by wearing a mask and, you know, being sure that we're uh, keeping distance and all those things that we have to abide by, but also allowing them to move and to wiggle and to do all those things that are incredibly important for the young learner. Okay, that's great. So another question that comes in is... Um, I mean, it's a little bit of a philosophical question that everybody deals with when they're raising little kids, uh, the extent to which you want for their development or education to be goal-oriented versus just letting them be. Um, how, do you do that differently with the COVID pandemic? Do you take it easier or do you say, no, he, here's, the, here's the benchmarks I still want to hit because that's, you know, I went on this preschool's website and this is what they say that we want the kids to be able to do by the end of the year do you try to be more goal-oriented or is that a mistake at a time like this or I don't know what do you what do you think about that um you know I feel like parents right now are feeling a little anxious about not being prepared and I think that that's something that they feel regardless of whether or not we're in a pandemic or not, if we're in a regular classroom setting and I think that you know with being prepared it's being comfortable and providing enough activities for our students and children to just have sort of this cornucopia of um, things to choose from and activities to do, I think are the best way to prepare them. I think that, you know, play is incredibly important because it allows their thoughts and their thinking to be much bigger than what we just sort of confine them to. For like, all right, today we're gonna work on shapes. Well, you can work on a triangle, you can work on a square, you can memorize a rectangle. But by being able to think about what do we see in the world that is a rectangle? What do we see in the world that is a circle? It takes it one step further. A, it makes it more interesting. And also it makes it fun because they're moving around the space and also they're making more observations. So not only are they seeing rectangles and circles, they may be seeing other shapes that don't necessarily have names, but then in their memory, they're thinking, oh, well, when I saw that circle, that was the clock. Or when I saw that square, that was a picture frame. So their vocabulary is also increasing. So yes, there are ways to hit those benchmarks, but being creative about that and being more exploratory really helps them to grasp the world as opposed to just grasp information. Excellent. And, and so I, that, that sort of is the next question about like, how do I incorporate learning into everyday activities? You know, what are some other ways like that? Cause I'm a lot of parents, they're, they have, they have meetings, they don't have, you know, they go in and out of meetings and then they have to 
help their little kids, you know, it's really challenging. What are some easy ways for them to kind of remember how to incorporate learning into everyday activities for their children? Yeah, and I feel like, you know, with parents being equally busy at home, you know, they, they have sort of double duty, some of them, where they're doing their own job and then they're also playing the role of teacher. And I think that instead of it feeling like it's a burden, we want it to feel like it's a growing experience or a way to really forge stronger relationships with children and with your kids. And I think that by doing that, if you do have a half an hour meeting, I think that, you know, putting a set of blocks in front of your child or putting a, a set of Play-Doh in front of your child or even uh, markers, any sort of thing that allows them to create and set a timer. Say, all right, I have a meeting I have to go to for 30 minutes. Be very honest with them because I feel like that's the thing that we forget. If you just are so honest <laughs> with your child, they get it and it's they appreciate it. So then you start a timer, either a digital one or a, a, a stove timer, whatever it might be. They know they have 30 minutes to create. Can they do it at first? Maybe not, but they have to build that stamina. So maybe you start by doing little things of five minutes or 10 minutes, however you can build that stamina to get there. And then they know that they're working for a half hour. Is it always successful? No. But I think that once you sort of build that time frame, they know that they have 30 minutes to create something and then you can go and check in on them. And I think those little things are what teachers do. Like you said, I wanna, I'm gonna give you five minutes to work on this or 10 minutes to work on this while I go and check on your classroom. Cause you're in a classroom with 20 kids. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to be able to spend that amount of time with each child, but you have to bounce around and cater to all of those kids' needs. And you'd be surprised they get lost in that activity and then when the timer goes off, A, you're helping them to understand and conceptualize time, but also they're owning that whole experience. So five, 10, 15, if you are blessed and build that seminar for a half hour, those are things that you can do to get them to be creative and then have them tell you about it. Tell me about this picture. Tell me about what you built. Tell, I'm noticing that there's some colors here. Um, I know this sort of goes in a little bit of a direction of the, the psychology behind drawing. But when you do comment on your child's work, always comment on color, shape. Don't say, oh, I love that squirrel. Meanwhile, that's you as the parent. <laughs> so make sure that you <laughs> stay away from identifying things and you just notice colors and shapes and motion because then it allows them to tell the story and it gives ownership to them about what they created. And then they're excited to share with you by the time that the meeting might be done. It's nice. Should I do things, like if I was a parent and I'm, should I do things like label the objects in my house with the words, the way that, like I remember the preschool, you know, the, the chair would have the word chair taped on it or like the refrigerator would have the word refrigerator taped on it at like toddler eye level. Yeah. Should, I, should I do things like that now because my kid isn't getting it? I think that you know, all of those things are helpful. And I think that, you know, as you're building vocabulary, I remember when I taught kindergarten, we did labels around the classroom, but they wrote them. So I would write the word on the smart board or what have you, and then they would write the labels nice. and they go and find it and they put it up. So A, it's in their handwriting, which I never, there's never anything in my classroom that was ever digital. It was always handwritten because when they see things that are computer generated, that's perfect. And that perfection is not what I ever wanted. Like those things are created by a computer. So the imperfection of my handwriting and their handwriting is what, you know, we held as a standard. So that way they owned it. It was handwriting that they understood 
and then they knew that it was from the person creating it. So those sort of things help them to own the words, but also by putting it in their hands, the muscle memory is connected then to their thoughts and they can learn by writing it. So uh, another, that brings us to another question, which is like, um, which we've sort of answered, but more maybe from the, the point of view of the parent mentally, like how can the parent cultivate a mindset that will make learning fun for a kid? We've kind of alluded to all that, but I know for myself, like if I was in the wrong mindset with my little ones when they were little, like it wouldn't be fun. It would feel like a chore for them. And if I was in the right mindset, they'd, and I, I don't really exactly remember what that mindset was. What is that mindset that makes it so that you convey, hey, this is fun and it's sort of getting something good done? Well, I think it goes back to kind of my thought about being honest with yourself. Like if you're approaching a task with your child and you don't want to do it, they're not going to want to do it. <laughs> you know, I feel like you have to make it interesting for you. So if it is a conversation on letters, how are you making it interesting for you? Are you, do you, are you a creative parent that likes to write letters and draw things or are you someone that likes to do it with song? Are you someone that just likes to have one letter on each page? You kind of have to think about yourself as a learner and apply it to how you're teaching and see if that sticks. And I think that that's the mindset behind it all is that, you know, if you have this growth mindset, which we talk a lot about with our mindfulness classes, you know, it's one that can change and be flexible and approach things in different ways. But if you have this fixed mindset, we're like, this is what we have to do. This is how we're going to do it just me saying that in that monotone way doesn't make me interested and therefore I don't think my children will be interested and inspired and then the ripple effect goes from there. So I think that as a parent approaching these things, take a few minutes to think, how would I like to do this? How would I approach this to make it interesting? It's a little bit of work and it's a lot of thought process that goes behind it, but it doesn't have to seem like this arduous task or this uh, burden that you're being put upon. Make it fun. If you enjoy cooking, think about you know how you can incorporate cooking into a lesson there's a lot of math involved in that and i think we forget and take for granted how we read a recipe how we measure things how we add one cup and another cup for a total of two cups so there's a lot in there that we can invite kids into keeping it safe but also keeping it fun and interesting that sounds really really good um i noticed that a lot of these things are not looking at the screen um how much screen time is okay for a child in a day? Yeah, I feel like that's a big question that a lot of people are having about screen time and how it affects um, their development and their ability to you know, see and what have you. And I think that a lot of um, doctors have been posting that you know kids between the ages of three and five should spend no more than an hour a day on the screen. Um, and then it goes on to say, you know, a lot of times if there's family members involved and there's a way to interact and see, you know, kids and what have you, then sometimes that can bend a little bit. But I think that their big thing is, you know, one hour of sitting at one point in time is way too much in general. Like if they feel like, you know, by spending 45 minutes to an hour, then you have to take a break. Like that's when the breaking point should start. And also um, a lot of the families that I've been working with and I've been using these too, I can just sort of show, um, these are like the blue light blockers. You can sort of see how they're much works. But with my students, I'm like, well, let's put on our thinking glasses and we like put these on and then we start our session. And what that does is it blocks a lot of the blue light things that can cause headaches or make the eyes tired. 
And so a lot of my families have been getting these and they're big because they're sort of adult size, but it is very fun because they like putting them on and on the kid's face, they're really big, but it, it does help. And I think that, so those, that are, those are like non-prescription filter type glasses. Right. And they're, they're pretty the, widely available. Yeah. Like these are, I love the sun.com and I as in like your eyeball. And I think they were like $12. And uh -huh. so some families have been getting those and it does put up a little bit of a, a blocker. It turns it into like a little bit of a, mm -hmm. a yellow color. But I feel like, you know, the, the screen is where we're getting so much information from and making sure that you have like the retina protection and things like that are important. But I feel like, you know, the more that they sit in the screen, I think that they're learning and gathering information but then you have to take that break just like you would when you're taking in a math class you have the bell goes off you have a walk around break and then you move to the next class i feel like mm -hmm. those are the things that we have to incorporate that mo movement and that motion so that it doesn't seem like we're just having this sedentary stare at the screen and those zombie moments what are some of the negative consequences of excessive screen time like if doctors are recommending against it yeah i feel like it's just kind of headaches and I think that the, just the light in the eyes can, you know, it just tends to be a little exhausting. Um, I know that when I'm working with students and I hear like, like, oh, I'm a little tired. The first thing I do is I have them stand up and they can walk a little bit away and they can wiggle their body. So that way they do distance themselves a little bit. So it's not a full session or a full hour of staring at the screen. They move around and then their eyes can adjust a little bit when they move away from it if they don't have the glasses. But I feel like, um, if your child is saying like their eyes are bothering them or they're having headaches, those are things that you should be aware of. But, you know, the more that you work with a student on the computer too, I feel like it's a way for you to connect with the child. And I think kind of going off of that screen time and you mentioning that, interact with your child when they're on the screen. Don't say, don't give them the screen as like an out for them to like not be a part of it. And I think that's a way to use the screen in a, in a helpful way is interact with them do the activities with them on the screen if it's something that's not classroom related or they're not in a Zoom with their teachers or other class members. And that way you can work with them, you can connect with them, and it becomes sort of a family building or a, a team building activity. So it sounds like you're, I mean, I, I, I know you are, but like people might be surprised to hear that you work with three or four year olds in an online format. Like, how do you achieve that? Is it you know, for kids, because I would think some people watching this might think that a three-year-old can't interact with someone remotely in a productive way, but I think you're able to do that. Why does that work? Yeah, I mean, at first I didn't believe it either. I thought, oh, well, if, you know, this that's too young, it's going to be difficult because being hands-on, having the materials here, it's, it's what's better. But I'm realizing that doing like 30 minutes and 45-minute sessions considering they've already been doing it with their preschool. A lot of preschools and kindergartens are already mm -hmm. doing this. Mm -hmm. So that made it easier to go into. But also there's lots of different picture books, like picture book apps and uh, websites you can use. Um, Epic, for instance, is a really great uh, reading resource because they can still do books that read to you. And so you can stop and go and stop and go. And that helps to build reading comprehension skills and a lot of those things too. So. I feel like when you are working with younger kids, it's the interest and the intrigue and it's still fun things that are happening on your screen that kind of pull them in, but also it takes a lot of energy. Like I remember when I was a kindergarten teacher, I was exhausted after every day because you know, you're getting them going and you're getting them excited and it is authentic because you know that when you're doing 
something that you love that also contributes to you being a little tired. But I feel like, you know, the more active and engaged, they don't ever sit for longer than 10 minutes when I'm working with them. We stand up, we do wiggle breaks, we work on lefts and rights. And those are the things that we do because that keeps them interested and engaged. And then when we settle down into their learning spot, then we know we have a story or some math or something that gets them, you know, in the academic mind, but also it's something that helps them to stay interested in what we're doing. Nice. Um, so I guess to, to wrap up a little bit then, if for parents, where can they find some helpful resources uh, for, for if they want to dive further into some of the things you talked about? Yeah, I feel like a lot of the resources are definitely, um, Epic is one of my favorite things. Books, V-O-O-K-S is virtual books. Mm -hmm. And that's another really great resource. And they also have some um, activities with that. So at the end of the book, if you know, you're a parent that wants to ask more questions or sort of move their thinking along, there's activities with a lot of the books. So they have creative elements. Uh, one of my favorite books that's on books is one about the horse and unicorn and the horse is very jealous that he's not the unicorn because the unicorn makes rainbows and everyone likes the unicorn and so they end up becoming friends in the end because the horse ends up saving the unicorn from something that happens but then in that there's little pages they can color to connect to the story and activities they can do and they can act that out um, i feel like those are good resources but also um here at noodle crows <laughs> we have a lot of really great tutors too that have um, worked with us to think about how to keep this fun and engaging and something that will help students as they you know move into the summer because we want to keep them active and engaged so that they become really great learners but also so they can continue to grow and foster those skills that kind of were cut short by the school year ending early. Perfect well that sounds like a lot uh, for parents to consider and as you said there are lots of uh, good resources for people to use, including uh, for parents there, they can certainly feel free to reach out to us at Noodle Pros, just go to www.noodlepros.com, all one word, Noodle Pros, uh, and we'll be happy to help you out answer any questions. And maybe if you're looking for a, a tutor who can help a younger child, uh, then, then we'll be able to match you with somebody great like Tony or somebody else. Um, Thanks for taking the time to us today, Tony. And, and, and it sounds like overall parents, you know, be, have fun with it, enjoy it. Don't, don't start too much, but do a little bit of what pre-kindergarten or kindergarten teachers do, do your best and, and your child will have fun and, and move forward toward, uh, you know, greater skills and, and happiness. Indeed. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today, 